2: Welcome to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm your host, Sid Evans. And in this episode, I'm excited to welcome back a talented songwriter who last joined us back in 2021 when the pandemic was still raging and a lot of musicians were stuck at home. Brittany Spencer is a Nashville-based country star who hails from the city of Baltimore where her family runs a popular Southern style restaurant called Granny's. Her debut album, which is already gathering a lot of critical acclaim, is called My Stupid Life, but her journey thus far has been anything but stupid. She's toured with Jason Isbell, performed with the High Women, been nominated for CMT and Americana Music Awards, and is currently on the road with Grace Potter, We'll talk about all that, her deep respect for the chicks, her admiration for the trailblazing country artist, Mickey Guyton, as well as what she's learned from performing with Bob Weir, a founding member of the Grateful Dead, all in this week's Biscuits and Jam. Brittany Spencer, welcome back to Biscuits and Jam. Thanks for having me. Well, listen, I got to start by saying congrats on the new album. It's your first album. It's called My Stupid Life, and it's just, it's terrific. I mean, it's really, it's amazing. I listened to the whole thing, and there's just so many great songs and so many layers to it. It's just wonderful.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. This album, gosh, it's my first one I've ever put out. And I'm feeling all the nerves, all the excitement. I'm mostly just ready, I think. A lot of these songs I've been touring for a few years, and it's really cool to put them out into the world. And I don't know, maybe a few people in the crowd will know them next time I have a show (laughs) and we can just (laughs) sing along together. (laughs) I think a lot of
2: people are starting to know them. Tell me a little bit about the name and where that came from. I mean, you know, it seems like life has been pretty good the last few years. Anything but stupid.
0: Oh, yeah. I feel like I use the word stupid often, and it's kind of a term of endearment. The title of the album, it really comes from a song that's on the album called My Stupid Life. and and the song, I'm just talking about how things, they don't always go the way you want it to. Sometimes I feel a little jaded. Sometimes I feel a little too open. Sometimes things are going incredibly well. I remember my first love. I remember. The first time I felt immense joy about something in life in like my adult years. I don't know. I feel like life is just a conglomerate of just really random things that sometimes don't always piece together, you know, but it's your life and it happened. And that's kind of what the song is about. And the more we kept putting this album together, I just knew, I think I want that to be the name of the album as well. Going into this album, I knew that I wanted Reaching Out to be the last song. I knew that. Even before we started recording, I knew I wanted that to be the last song on the album. It felt like a closer to me. I didn't know what other songs are going to be on the album, but I knew which song should close it out. And I knew the album should be called My Stupid Life. Yeah. like I just knew it. First, I just loved that title. And I'm always thinking like a fan first, because I really feel like one. And I knew as a fan... I want to listen to whatever is called my stupid life. (laughs) Hopefully this doesn't come out before she hears it, but I'm in the process of making some shirts for some people on my team. And like I have their names and it'll say so-and-so's stupid life. Like I'm thinking about even like my stupid band, my stupid merch. Across the board, it kind of just checks all my little boxes, but it wasn't made with that intent. It was really just me having fun with my friends and just, you know having this silly line called My Stupid Life, and it just kind of stuck with us.
2: You know, everybody can relate to that phrase in one way or another, and it probably means a lot of different things to different people. But I love the way that you communicated it through the photo on the cover as well. It's a picture of you standing on a car in what looks like a junkyard.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
2: (laughs) What were you trying to get across with that? I mean, tell me about how that came together.
0: Well, one, that wasn't my idea. To do it in a junkyard, it actually came from someone at my label named Gregory Burke. He's phenomenal. He's made so many different album covers that are just iconic. I was just talking to him about this album, and I was telling him about the song First Car Feeling, and I was telling him about how I just think life is a whole bunch of broken pieces, and sometimes in the middle of craziness you can make and you know do something really beautiful and he just kind of came with this idea a day later and I thought it was so brilliant and leading up to going into that photo shoot on the road I started finding out that I like bell-bottom jumpsuits and that's kind of what I wear a lot on stage and so I was like man what would look good in the junkyard and I was like denim jumpsuit, but it should be something kind of grungy, but not too grungy. Like we need to have distressed denim and something that kind of reminded me of what I would have worn in high school. But like with the elevation that I feel like I've thankfully experienced and my personal style (laughs) over the years, we came with this idea to kind of just have this really cool jumpsuit made and me standing inside of this car. And I took a lot of photos. I didn't want a cover, by the way. I did not want an album cover where I was smiling. I did not want that. I wanted to be edgy. I wanted to be cool. And I didn't like any of those photos. And so it was the smiley one that I kind of really gravitated to. But then I thought about it. I was like, this is my life. I'm always trying to find the positivity. I'm always trying to be honest, but also wrestling in the tension of being honest, but also trying to be grateful at the same time. And so I feel like that's kind of what the album cover is for me. It's like, this place might not be ideal, but I'm having a good time. I can find a way. It looks
2: like you're having a good time. (laughs) And I think that's going to come through and comes through in every song on that record, too. It's just great. Thank you. Well, I want to talk more about the record in a minute. But before we do that, I just want to look back for a second to where you grew up. The last time we talked, it was in 2021. And I remember you telling me about this restaurant that your family had. Yeah, Granny's. Granny's. Yeah. And I'm wondering, do they still have that restaurant and how's it going?
0: Yes, the restaurant is still there. Last I heard, I think they were thinking about like expanding, which is so cool. I haven't been there since like 2021. I think I went there with my brother, my stepmom, and it was so good. It's a wonderful place. I love my family. I haven't seen them in a while. The owners, they're my cousins, they're my grandfather his brother's kids. And so I haven't seen them in so long because they're still kind of quarantined a bit, at least from what I know. A lot of the older people in my family haven't really been going out still because it feels a little dangerous for health reasons for them. But gosh, I think the restaurant is doing so well. They're wonderful people. The food is great. I was talking to uh, my grandmother yesterday, actually. I called her. And she doesn't own the restaurant, but cooking is in my family. My grandmother, she's from Greensboro, North Carolina. A lot of people in my family are from the South, and that's kind of how I was Raised like a conglomerate of North Carolina and Baltimore. It's a wonderful mix. Uh, (laughs) But I was talking to her and she was just telling me what she was cooking. And I was asking her about a recipe. And then she was reminding me how she cooks her cabbage because that's how I cook my cabbage too. And so it's just nice. These are normal conversations in my family where you just ask people what they're cooking and ask them how to cook it. And then you just take that recipe and you make it yourself. I still do that. Like I'll call and be like, how did you make that thing, Grandma? I'm still trying to figure out how she makes her rolls. <laughs> I really want to know how she makes her rolls. They're so good, but she just makes it all from scratch, you know? But that's how my family is. I mean, even the restaurant grannies, a lot of their recipes are like home recipes. And so it's kind of cool to have a restaurant in the family, I think. I remember you said that there was a
2: wall of photos of like 200 mm-hmm. grandmothers when you walk into the restaurant, all these different yeah. grandmothers, <laughs> which I thought was great. Yeah.
0: Oh, it's so beautiful. And there's only really one photo of my great grandmother that I never got to meet that's like around. And that photo is on that wall. Oh. And it's so cool. Like it's the only photo we'll ever see of her. You know, whenever I get to see that photo, I just kind of imagine what her life was like. She was from Southern Maryland and she moved to Baltimore, which is maybe an hour or two away. So my grandfather is from Baltimore, but his family is from Southern Maryland. And just, I don't know. I kind of imagine what her life was like. Like I've read up on like the history of some of the area where she's from and just like in my head, just kind of like make stories about what her day would have been like. And so, I don't know. It's a beautiful photo and one of the perks for me of going back to Granny's restaurant. This is your great-grandmother you're talking about? hmm Grandma May. So,
2: Brittany, when you think about cooks in your family, who's kind of the rock star cook in the family? Who's the person that everyone talks about they're cooking?
0: My cousin Chrissy. She is a wonderful cook, and I like her because she's a mix of a lot. She spent like six years going to college for cooking. She went to the Culinary Institute of America for several years, some other school in Baltimore for years. She worked in restaurants. She's worked in personal dining, like just all kinds of things she's done. And she has a really, really nice way of kind of bringing flavor together. But also, my grandmother was her first teacher. And my grandmother just makes Southern cuisine. And so it's cool just kind of hearing, or I guess tasting rather, all of the different influences in her cooking style. It reminds me of how I make music. I kind of mix things together too, you know? I like having a little bit of something for everybody. And I think my cousin definitely does that as well. Because also people in my family have gone through all kinds of different dietary changes, you know? Like I remember when my aunt stopped eating red meat. And then all of a sudden, all of us stopped eating red meat for a while. And then someone got into kale. And then at the family gatherings, there's now this kale dish. (laughs) Have you got a dish that you're kind of known for? So my friends here will tell you that I make... A really good salmon bowl okay i like making bowls i like pretending that i work at like true foods or something i'm a herb girl so i always have mint and basil thyme rosemary cilantro i always have all of those things in the house and i love chopping it up and making the rice or the quinoa and chopping up some avocado deciding which sauce goes with which dish is important to me so i have a lot of ingredients for sauce but i think back home my sister she really likes my rice dishes I mean, she likes it when I do random things like take rice and put some lime and cilantro and some seasonings in it or like a stir fry. I don't know. It's just little things like that. But also I'm very known for Uber Eats. So that's that as well. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It sounds (laughs) like (laughs)
2: you kind of approach
0: it like your music. You kind of make it up a little bit as you go. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's totally me. I'm always trying to mix flavors together. I'm always trying to see which Things could kind of pair with something else. But I do also really like a good classic dish, like just cooking a piece of chicken or just cooking a vegetable. I'll never forget my grandmother told me the best way to cook cabbage. She said, Brittany, you don't need a lot. You might be tempted to try and do a whole lot of stuff, but all you need is a little bit of water because the greens are going to make their own water. So just a little bit of water. Make sure you take the parts of the cabbage that are on top After you peel off that first layer, make sure you chop them up, put them in the pot first because they're going to take a little longer to cook. And then put some salt, pepper, a little butter and you're fine. And just cover it, let it cook for a few minutes and you'll be good. And she's right. All I needed was a little bit, you know? Stuff like that is important. My stepmom, she taught me how to make mac and cheese. I love her mac and cheese. So I make it, I don't do it that often. Anything that's my favorite, I don't do it that often. I make it like maybe once or twice a year because I want to make sure that I don't get bored. And that's how I am with music as well. My favorite albums, my favorite artists, I don't really listen to them that often. Yeah. I never want to get bored. I love that album. I don't want to ever get bored with it.
2: Well, let's talk about music for a second. You grew up. Obviously, you had a beautiful voice. Thank you. And I know that you tried some opera, and you were into Broadway for a while.
0: Yeah, in high school. (laughs) Why
2: were you drawn to country? When was that moment that you really kind of started to gravitate toward country?
0: Because of the chicks, I blame them for everything. (laughs) (laughs) I heard their music, and I, I was a kid. And I I fell in love and I love their songwriting. I like the songs. I fell in love with just how much they reminded me of just singing in the choir because that's what I was doing at the time. So all the harmonies, even their fashion, I felt like I understood it, you know, like how they coordinated their outfits. I remember seeing them at the end of Runaway Bride and being like, oh, this is so cool. Just the way they coordinated was so cool because that's what I was doing every Sunday anyway, you know, trying to make sure that I wore the perfect shade of navy blue because that's what the choir was supposed to wear that day, you know? (laughs) And I fell in love with all of that. I fell in love with the stories they were telling. In high school, I was listening to a little bit of everything and kind of just getting acclimated to everything because my family, my mom didn't really listen to a whole lot outside of gospel at the time. But because I was in school and singing opera, and when you're around a bunch of creative people, you just start listening to what they listen to you know, you start singing what they're singing, I started kind of diversifying my musical palette. (laughs) This was so fun. I remember stepping outside of class, voice class, with my friend Jamila once because we really just wanted to go listen to JoJo's album. And we couldn't wait. We could not wait. But I'm like, this ain't opera. I love what you listen to when you're not in school. And so then I start listening to JoJo. But that's kind of how me and my friends were, you know, as kids, even as creatives. We were just exploring. We were listening to a little bit of everything. And I still kind of do that. I definitely do that still. That's the best part about being creative, I think, is just always looking for more creativity to kind of explore.
2: Yeah. Was there a Chick song in
0: particular that you just kind of latched onto? Mm. I mean, they have a lot of those for me. I would say my top three Chick songs would be Cowboy Take Me Away, but also their song, I believe
1: in love.
0: That's such a great song.
1: Sometimes I wake up crying at night. And sometimes I scream out your name. That was such a good song. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. That was such a heartbreaking song. I remember singing that song. And I remember because like once you get to the bridge, you find out that like they've been married and they got kids. And I'm like, oh, snap. (laughs) And I'm just a kid and (laughs) he's just a teenager singing about being divorced with two kids. (laughs) But I'm singing my heart out. (laughs) She's two and she's four and you know they adore you. So I'm just like, you know, just (laughs) singing about this life I have no idea about that I still don't know about. But I felt it because they felt it. And just once I started realizing, once we all, I guess, started seeing how much they cared about the world and how much they cared about people and they started being outspoken, I fell more in love with them. And it wasn't just like a... Fan admiration, sort of love. It was like a, oh snap, that's something I would do. (laughs) I was really feeling it. I was. It spoke to me, you know? I feel like a huge reason why I can be as outspoken as I am today about a lot of world issues. I mean, I feel like they paved the way for that, you know? Absolutely. I remember I got to meet them this past summer. Oh, you did? First time? Yeah, first time. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to fan out because I guess I shouldn't maybe. But I had to keep my cool with them for 20 minutes while I talked to them backstage. It was honestly one of the best things. I loved it. It was so beautiful getting to meet them. I'm like, dude, I didn't know anything about country music. I didn't even know the genre. I didn't know any genre. Literally, for me, as a kid growing up in church, a little sheltered, I didn't know a whole lot. And when I first heard their music, it opened up a whole new world of sound for me. And I feel like when I saw them, when I got to meet them, it was such a moment because they they're first of all, they're just such chill and cool people, you know, but I remember in my head being like, wow, I can't believe I'm meeting and talking to the people that made me feel seen enough to like engage this genre, you know, it was a wild experience, but they're right up there for me in terms of my list of heroes in music. I'm grateful for what they've done.
2: After the break, I'll talk more with Brittany Spencer about her experience as a black woman in country music, her new album, My Stupid Life, and collaborating with Bob Weir. Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, and today I'm talking with the rising country artist, Brittany Spencer. You know, Brittany, you're coming into country music at such an interesting moment. I mean, there are more black artists in country than ever, Mm -hmm. and you're surrounded by people like Mickey Guyton and Madeline Edwards, you know, both of whom have been on this podcast and so many others who are really making waves. And when you talk to those artists, is there a sense that things are really changing for the better? I mean, do you feel a sense of like history happening when you talk to them?
0: I definitely feel like history's happening. Like you said, I mean, we haven't seen this many Black country artists like ever. And I'm excited to see what happens in the careers of so many of us. And I hope that the industry continues to grow and kind of catch up a bit. You know, I hope that it does. I feel like, particularly when I talk to people like Mickey, it's a wonderful time to be who we are in this genre, particularly in this time. I mean, I credit a lot of this to Mickey. I really think that Mickey sparked a whole new generation of country artists, and that's powerful. Like, before ever even putting out her first album, she was already an icon. She was already legendary. She's already done something. If Mickey didn't speak up, if Mickey didn't talk about, being Black, you know, or the song Black Like Me, if she didn't do that, I just don't think we would see this moment at all. And there's no one that can really kind of change my mind about that because I watched it in real time. People didn't care or weren't looking for this until she stood up and spoke out. And to kind of look and see where the industry was, you know, pre-2020 to seeing where it is now as it relates to having so many Black artists, I can see where changes have been made But I also see where so many more need to happen. And I see how a lot of us have gotten our foot in the door. But I'm looking forward to the day where that door is gone. I'm looking for the day where that glass ceiling doesn't exist. I mean, we do so many really cool things. We diversify our portfolios a lot, you know, in terms of the things that we do. And it's so cool. I love seeing us do things on TV. I love seeing us do so many different branding and partnership deals. I love that. I also can't wait to see us, you know, on the charts. I can't wait to see us on the radio. I can't wait to hear us in the places where country musicians are. I'm so grateful for all the things that we get to do and for how far I guess we've come. And I'm also just looking forward to the day where there's a few more seats at the table.
2: Well, you know, you talk about being inspired by the Chicks and then finally meeting them. I think there's probably a lot of young, up-and-coming teenage artists who are listening to you and thinking the same thing and who are going to be listening to this album and want to do something like that someday.
0: Gosh, I'm excited about what this time means for a lot of us artists in real time. I'm more interested in seeing what this particular moment means or how it translates in 10 years, you know, when there's a new generation of country artists and there's so many of us that you can't let one or two in at a time. You know, I'm looking forward to the day where this genre kind of looks a little more like other mainstream genres, which is a little bit of a lot of different kinds of people. I'm just looking forward to that. It took me a long time to leave Baltimore. It took me a long time to actually get past thinking about how things actually are, to actually have a vision for what I thought it could be, Mm. you know, what it could look like. If I fixate on what I see right now and continue to accept that as reality, It takes away from the ability to envision what tomorrow could look like. And so that's what hope looks like for me. That's what change looks like for me. It almost sometimes feels like ignoring reality. It almost feels like saying, okay, cool. Well, I know what it looks like right now, but I'm not working for right now. I'm not doing this for right now. It's so nice if I have some success. But what I really would love to see happen is in 10 years, an artist not have to go through some of the things that I go through to get somewhere, you know, and I feel like from the outside looking in, people can look at me and say, you've got so many opportunities and you've done so many things. And weren't you doing a Victoria's Secret thing? Didn't you just open for Springsteen and Willie Nelson? Like people can look at that and say that, but there's so much that happens behind the scenes to get to these points sometimes. And it's hard to be a new artist, I think for anybody, no matter what you look like, no matter who you are. But being a woman, being Black has its own unique set of challenges, you know? I'm pursuing a genre where there aren't nearly as much women on the charts as there are men. And there aren't really Black people there. Not a whole lot. Maybe one or two. Two is being generous. That's the reality. But I can't live or work for that. I acknowledge it. I know it's there. I know it exists. But I'm trying to envision something else. I'm trying to envision a world where that's not the case anymore. So it's almost delusional. But that's what it means to hope. That's what it means to dream. I think the future is made by those kinds of people. And I don't know if I can make a damn thing other than this album, but I can at least try to do something, do my part, you know? There are no saviors in this. We're all trying.
2: Yeah, I mean, but you are doing this album. You just put this out there, and let's talk about that. I mean, it's really a statement and I know it's probably feels like it's been a long time coming for you. And you've been working on a lot of this music for a long time, but it feels very much of a piece. It feels all very connected to me. I want to talk about the first song on the album, which is called New to This Town. So, you know, Brittany, you've been in Nashville for more than a decade now. But mm-hmm. I'm wondering if some of this was about your first experiences in Music City and really trying to kind of break in and figure that town out.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I moved here not knowing anybody. And I remember like right before I moved here, I was dating this guy. He's really ambitious. He was like, don't go to Nashville trying to make friends. Stay focused on your music. Stay focused on your career. And I remember getting here and being like, oh, that was stupid. <laughs> like that was dumb advice. I remember just driving one night and kind of letting myself feel the loneliness that I actually really felt inside. And I started writing that song and it's hard to move to a new town. You don't know nobody. People make plans or you meet somebody and it feels like it could be fun. It could be a friendship. And then you don't ever see them again. You know, you meet one night at a bar at a club and you say, Oh, we should get together. Let's hang out. And then you don't. And it's like, Oh crap. You said we could hang out. And I was really kind of banking on that plan. Cause I really wanted a friend. I actually tried to co-write that song with several different people a few years back. I think it was like maybe three years ago. I presented that song in a few co-writing sessions and it kind of didn't take with anybody. And I was like, okay, I'm just leaving it alone. I kind of shelved it, but I put it in this little folder that I have where I put a lot of my songs. And uh, when it was time to pick songs for the album, I remember my label was like, what about this song? I was like, really? You like that song? Because... In my head, you know, these writers that have written number one this and, I don't know, negative five that, whatever, <laughs> they didn't really take. And they were like, no, this is a great song. I was like, should I finish it? This is all there is. And I remember going to the studio and being like, oh, I think this is it. I think this is really cool. And I'll end up going into the studio in L.A. with Romeo And I love his work. And I remember him just kind of tinkering around on the keys and playing some really cool things. And I just thought, oh, this is a song. This is awesome. And initially, when we were making the track list for the album months later, I was going to put this song in the middle, kind of almost to be like a little palate cleanser, you know, between the first half and the second half of the album. And I, I have to credit this to Greg Nadell, who heads up Electra, my label. And he said, what if you open up the album with New to This Town? And I was like, I think that's kind of a brilliant idea. It felt nice. It felt cool to open up the album with vulnerability. Initially, I thought it should open up with this, I don't know, fast, upbeat song that kind of talked about, I don't know, something. But making it new to this town, I thought, oh, that immediately in my head and in my heart gives this album legs. Like As a listener, as a fan, I want to listen to the rest. I want to see what else you're talking about. If you open up your album by opening up your heart and telling people how lonely you felt, I think I would listen to that. I would be into that, you know, as a fan. It's telling your story. And it's really
2: short, Mm -hmm. actually, but it's beautiful. And it's just kind of a great way to get into the album.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. I love that song. That was a a really unexpected song for me to have on the album. I've forgotten all about that song. That's why I think it's cool as an artist to kind of have other people around to like just kind of hear their input. You know, I think that's important because otherwise I would have trashed a song. I wish I was, you know, that new artist that came out the womb just being so sure about everything. (laughs) But I'm not. And it's okay. I think that's beautiful. It reminds me the beauty of friendship, of having great collaborators around you. And there are plenty of things that I do where I don't care about anybody's input at all. But there are times like with New to this Town, it was really nice.
1: (laughs) I don't want to be fooled again Into thinking I found a friend in-
2: Well, I just love that you're starting with one that you wrote all by yourself, and it's just your voice and your perspective and your story. Thank you. So, Brittany, let's talk about another one, a really fun one that's called Night In. And, you know, I can really relate to this one because I love nothing more than a night in. <laughs> I also loved the little phone call that you had right before it, where I think you were talking to, I think Mickey Guyton was on there and talking mm-hmm. about coming over.
0: Yeah. How did that one come together? Oh, gosh. The song or the interlude? The song. (laughs) Ooh, the song, well, it started as an actual night in. I was with uh, Jessica Kane, one of the co-writers on the song, and she and I, we've written a lot of other songs together. On that record particularly, she wrote First Car Feeling with me and My First Rodeo and another one that I'm probably not remembering right now. But we wrote those songs and we had never hung out before. And so that night was our first attempt at like being friends outside of the writing room because we connected so deeply, so quickly. But the only time that we would get together was to write a song. And so we were like, cool, we're not going to write a song. We're going to get together. I'm going to come over to your apartment, Jess, and you're going to make salmon. Because I-, I love salmon. <laughs> right? You're going to make salmon and whatever else because she's like this awesome cook. And she's been telling me about her food forever. And then you know I was like, cool, well, show me what you're working with so I go over there, we have this incredible meal and then we're sitting on the couch drinking wine, watching Cruella. And somewhere in that night, we just start talking about how we a lot of times just need a night in or a weekend or a year in at home. And then we started writing night in. We started writing the chorus and a little bit of the first verse and then it got late and we just kind of left it alone. And I'm a big fan of not pushing and forcing songs. So like if it's done after we write the first verse, then that's what we have that day. And so we walked away. But I was on tour a lot during that time, so we didn't get together again for a few months. But this time, it was with Summer Overstreet. And so we finished that song, and it was such a easy time. Like I was so deliriously tired from tour that it was kind of like stream of consciousness writing. And we just had a good time. It was such a fun, easy day. I think for me, making that visualizer that we made for it, that was a really stretching thing for me. Honestly, up until like last year, I didn't even wear sleeveless shirts. I know it sounds so silly saying it out loud, but I'm a plus-size woman. And for so much of my life, I've been told to cover up, you know, up until a few years ago. And to, I don't know, just be opening up myself a little more it's, and just kind of running around a room and dancing and finding out on set that I can rock out on electric guitar like, I remember being like, well, I see it all the time. I see people do it. I see people do it in my band and I see people do it on TV. I don't know if I can do it. I don't usually play guitar like this, but let me try. And not end up just having so much fun. And then I went to rehearsal a few weeks after and I started playing the way I did in that video. And I was like, oh, I guess I can rock out. I didn't know. I had no idea. But I'm just like trying out things in real time. And that's the fun and bright side of trial and error, I think. And that's what that video did for me. For me, night in, has been that video. It's been me seeing myself in a way that I didn't know people that look like me could be seen. I'm not doing something new. There's plenty of people who have done this before. I just didn't know that I could be one of those people. And it helped me on my journey, you know, of seeing myself in a way that's not inferior.
1: I just want a night getting high with friends. not a night on the town, counting time again. No. City streets, no drunk, boys moping can't buy you a dream. Turn my phone off, get a little going. All this turning it up, it really turning me on. I need sweatpants, vibing to an old CD, and my day one's next to me. I just want to die.
2: Well, it feels just like so many of the songs in this album. It feels like you, it feels very personal. It feels like it's honest. And I think a lot of people can relate to that.
0: Yeah, I hope so. I love when people walk up to me after a show and be like, when is this song coming out? And I love being able to say, oh, it's out now. I love being able to finally say that because I've been touring without an album for three years. (laughs) But a lot of the comments are always, I've never seen somebody look like this doing what you're doing. That's cool. I like that. Or there's not enough of us here. Like, that's fun. Thank you so much. I felt really seen with this lyric. And I just want people to feel seen, you know, coming from a person who has felt invisible most of their life. I wanted to make a project that just made a lot of different kinds of people feel seen, feel valued. And that's, is bigger than music, Mm. you know, for me, so often the song is a tool. I'm just trying to connect with people. I want to make music that makes people feel like having joy is the best thing they could do today. Having some form of happiness or being honest about their feelings or thinking about the world a little bit or facing your past, dealing with your inner demons. Sometimes it's hopefully satisfying, but sometimes it's not, you know, and that's okay. That's life. Life is weird. (laughs) Yeah. Life is weird and stupid, right? (laughs) Life is weird and stupid in all of its glory. It's random. You're just hoping for the best. You're just hoping that you know what you're doing. And oftentimes, none of us really do. Yeah. And that's okay. That's the truth.
2: Brittany, I want to ask you about some of the folks that you've collaborated with in the last couple of years, and in particular, Bob Weir. You mentioned him earlier and You know, he's an original member of the Grateful Dead. I'm a huge Grateful Dead fan, always have been. And and most recently, all the stuff he did with Dead & Company. What has been a highlight of working with him
0: and singing that music? Gosh, I don't even know where to start to answer that question. I feel like one of the things that I learned from him was versatility. I remember when I showed up to Radio City Music Hall, to sing with him for two nights last year. And I was originally asked to just sit in on, I think like maybe a song or two. I sang five songs with him and all of them were so different. Some of them were covers. He was just so like easy. I started learning more about the fan base, how there are so many songs they've never recorded, but the fans know them word for word. You know, I thought that was so cool. Having a different set list every night. It took me back to, The days where I didn't know what a setlist was, where you just kind of sang songs. It was a journey in how to be flexible, how to move around, how to be fun, how to be interesting, how to not always do the same thing twice. That was like a really cool masterclass for me there. And, you know, one of the things I thought was so interesting singing with him that night was the band. The band is so good. I mean, they're just insanely talented and particularly the pedal steel player, Listening to the way that he would move on, Looks Like Rain, Mm. and then they go into another song. We did What's Going On. And the pedal still moved so effortlessly between all these different sounds, all these different genres, all these different emotions. But it is so effortlessly and it sounded so authentic to the music that they were playing. And I thought, man, that's so fun, you know? Like, there's not one genre that can monopolize an instrument, that can monopolize a certain sound. And I love Bob because he just does what he wants. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Right. If he wants to sing with shoes on, what he does. If he doesn't, he doesn't. If he wants to wear his hat, he will. You know, I just thought it was so cool just being there. It was a crash course in, in how to... Be an artist and be yourself, and how to keep doing that for a long time. I thought it was really beautiful. Yeah, it's not a whole lot of times where I've gotten to feel specifically all those feelings all at once. You know, thankfully I've gotten to do so many really cool things with a lot of really cool artists, and each time has kind of unlocked a different emotion. And I think that's really cool and that's really beautiful. And I I want to say it's rare, but it's happened so many times with me at this point where I'm just like gosh, I can't say it's rare if it's always happening. Honestly, I think that everybody just carries something that's really rare and specific to them. And to be able to sit in and be in the presence of that, it gives me a glimpse into their world and it gives me an opportunity to kind of sit in that light with them, you know, this light that they've worked their whole lives to spark and keep going. It makes me want to be that kind of artist one day as well. Like, I hope when I'm older that I want to take a chance on new artists the way that Bob Weir and Jason Nisbull and Brandi Carlisle and the High Women have done with me. I think that's really beautiful and special.
2: I think you're on the way to doing that, especially the fact that you recognize that and that you have idols like the Chicks and you've seen what they did for you. And so I have a feeling you're going to be inspiring plenty of people down the road.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much.
2: Well, Brittany, I just have one more question for you. Sure. What does it mean to you to be Southern?
0: Ooh, what does it mean for me to be Southern? There was this quote that I saw, I believe it was from Hank Williams. Something along the lines of you don't have to be from the South to do country music. You just have to do it from your heart. And that's probably the best way that I can describe it. I'm from Baltimore, which is way more city than country. My grandfather's family is from Southern Maryland. My grandmother's from Greensboro, North Carolina. And a lot of that was implemented in my parents' upbringing and then also my upbringing. But I really do think that opening up your heart and being receptive to change, being diligent about holding up some traditions that really should stay, you know, really good values. I think with family, with friends, I think that's important. Mm -hmm. After living in Nashville for 11 years, I would say one of the things that I think that sticks out to me so much about the South is how tightly people hold on to each other. I think that's beautiful. I think that's a wonderful thing and it's something that I always want to carry. Most importantly, as a musician, as an artist, I think it's about writing things that are true to you and being diligent about telling that story. I think that's what makes a country artist. Yeah, The sounds will change. I mean, 90s country doesn't sound like today's country, necessarily. It doesn't sound like 60s country. It's going to always change. But some things, a lot of things stay the same. And I think a lot of that comes from just trying to be authentic, trying to be yourself, trying to be honest, and remembering to hold to the traditions that are actually good, the things that bring us together, not pull us further apart. I think that's important.
2: Well, Brittany Spencer, it is great to see you again, and good luck with the new album. Thanks so much for coming back on Biscuits and Jam.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm about to go make some biscuits now. (laughs) (laughs) And jam. (laughs) Jam out.
2: (laughs) Thanks for listening to my conversation with Brittany Spencer. Southern Living is based in Birmingham, Alabama. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And we would love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Our theme song is by Sean Watkins of Nickel Creek. I hope you'll join me next week when I'll be talking with the actor and musician Charles Esten. We'll see you then.